Hello everybody, this is the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I am Val Hughes. And I'm Vern Value. And we're back after an exciting Christmas, New Year's break. I guess this is our post-holiday show. Uh, we took a couple the weeks break off. ever in the history of the show. We took a couple weeks off just to refresh. You know, the stock market's a complicated thing, and so we needed to sort of clear our minds and get ready for 07. And so we're uh, sure. today, we're, uh, we're, we're just What for, he said. For those of you that don't know, we're 25-year Wall Street analysts uh, and investors who uh, on Friday afternoons get together for a couple of drinks. We record those conversations about value line generally, and we pass them on to you. We're trying to uh, pick the best stocks uh, out of value line each week uh, that we think are the likeliest to appreciate the most. Uh, now, we have to tell you a couple of caveats. We're doing this, so our lawyers say, for entertainment purposes only, although all my money is invested in the stocks we talk about. But it's for entertainment purposes. We all of them. Well, no. But we have also, uh, uh, we own a few bonds that we don't talk about here, I suppose. And, and, and a variety of other, other uh, things. holdings and other asset variety classes that don't come up either. But in any case, uh, we have chosen to go underground because our bosses would never allow us. Secret identities. Uh, we can't share our actual candid views without uh, basically uh, you our know, altering our voices, taking on secret identities, and so. Using false addresses. False addresses, false names, false I opinions. I wear a disguise no? every week, a different disguise. Have you and uh, I, you're looking very nice today, the New Year's oven. But so. So every week we are subscribers to Value Line, and uh, they've done a good job over the years, and we just pick the best ones. This week we're going to look at the January 5th, 2007 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. Uh, I'm going to be on toward the back half of the show. This is Val. I'll be talking about things like Home Depot, Florida Rock, which we visited before, Ethan Allen, furniture brands. I'm going a little crazy this week. There's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Owens, Illinois, a big glassmaker. Kimberly Clark, you know, owner of the Kleenex brand. You're going to do all that. And I'm also doing the uh, kitchen sink as well, in addition to that. But right now, what I'd like to do, uh, and I'd like to make a big ado here for, <laughs> that's even a word, for it is. Vern Value, Present. my partner. Thank you very much. So take it away. <laughs> thank you. Vern Value. Thank you. Oh, thank okay. you, Val, for that warm and thoughtful. Trying to be as composed. warm as possible under the circumstances. <laughs> uh, welcome. Thank you. To 2007. It's a, that's greatly put. It's, I'm excited to be here. I hate <laughs> uh, to think a lot of the interesting stuff in this week's value line. Uh, not a lot of stars, though. If you look, they don't at, like you know, this using week. The, the constellation theory. Well, um, you know, there's one, two, three, four. They only have five number ones. It can't be more than ten number twos. Lots of stocks, though. I see some interesting. I ones rarely in the, like uh, any of their favorites. The I fives. just have to say. Yeah. But uh, first, I'm going to talk about one they do like, well, do like, rated at two, Tupperware, Tupperware Brands, symbols TUP, 1.3 billion market cap. Uh, what's it say? Manufactures high-quality consumer products. Oh, give me a break. They make plastic bowls with snap-on lids. They're very high-quality. Try to break one. Well, uh, true. And, you know, you can hold them upside down and the top doesn't come off. And, and they, uh, you can melt them. As long as you put them on there, right. You can right. melt them? Why would you well, melt them? I don't know. As a child, I had hobbies. You know, whatever. <laughs> Go on. Uh, but it occurs to me that there's something. Have you seen this product from Glad? You can now yes. buy basically Tupperware bowls and lids from right. other disposable. Well, historical Tupperware. Yeah. But Tupperware has a whole new story. I mean, you're doing it this week. This management team was in my office three weeks ago telling me their whole story, which I don't know. 
you know, I'm going to withhold my uh, Well, view. I'll just tell yeah. you what I'm looking at, okay. and then you can pipe in with the, the value added of the Perhaps. direct experience. I like right? the guy, though. i got to say that. Stock's around 22, according to Value Line, 13 times earnings, 30% discount to the market. It's a good start, right? Yield is 4%. Serious. The stock at 22, uh, I mean, I'm looking at a high between 25 and 29, 24 and 29 every year in the past Nine, except for 2003. Well, everyone probably thinks they know what Tupperware is, but it's the Tupperware lady going to your but home. But I don't, right? I don't, I don't see any. I mean, it's not like the stock's been on some huge run or anything. No, it's they they have like, huge disadvantages in distribution. Yes, yes. I guess it's the Glad effect. No, well, no, partly that. Problem. Plus, well, no, it no, used to be Tupperware parties. There's, well, no, it's just think parties. of this: Tupperware parties used to be in the home, and you have women going to work over the last. This is thirty-year-old news that women are in the workforce and not at home, so they migrated to doing parties in the office. And uh, but then you had, you did have these competitors. You had a, you know, a decline in the sort of value add of these plastic products. But it's but it's Tupperware, and and but, nobody else probably knows any more about doing those kinds of events than they do. They still do them, but it's expensive. You have to pay the salesperson so much money versus selling it at yeah, Costco. There's yeah. also a fair they amount. Of, half the there's gross also margin. a fair amount of leverage here. According to Value Line, 66% of total capital is debt. So I calculate a 1.3 billion equity market cap, plus the 700 million of debt, net debt. Okay, there is some cash on the balance sheet, almost a dollar a share. Uh, it gives me about a two billion dollar uh, enterprise value. I'm looking using their numbers on a 1.7 billion sales level because the company acquired Sara Lee's beauty right. products operations yes, at the end of 05. They are very excited about so the opportunity a year, for that in uh, South America. Well, with that, they're uh, almost 300 million in EBITDA, so around a seven times multiple. So pretty cheaply it's priced cheap. on a full enterprise basis besides, you know, an attractive PE. And if I'm right about minimal capital spending requirements from here, and I don't know that I am, but value lines showing about a buck a share. Not I, a capital intensive. I think I can come up with close to $2 a share in annual debt repayment. That's probably right. That's what they think. On a $22 stock yielding 4%. Well, I'm at 12 13% return before I've really asked for anything to happen with valuation or earnings. Well, that... Grow, that earnings yield requires earnings to continue to be no, there. No, understood, yeah. understood, right. understood. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if this, uh, I don't know if there's an angle here on the beauty products thing or not. There Maybe is. You have a view on that. Well, I. But do. it occurs to me that packaging is a big part of selling beauty products. I mean, think about it. when you go in the perfume aisle. I mean, what what impresses you is packaging. Maybe these people know something about packaging. No. But I'm looking at. Um, you know, pretty good company with some decent brands at pretty attractive price that looks like it's a show me story. And now you tell well, me it's I been guessed. going down for uh, if you look at the relative oh, value, the, relative price chart on Value Line since 1998, no, it's been underperforming. It's way up here, right? But, so but back it, then they but had the a performance has been modest since about '03. But you wouldn't have wanted to own the stock. Then. There's no any. There's no well, time when this is no, outperforming. No, 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 no. Okay, fine. Okay, well, here's what their story is right. that they told me in my office. Okay, a few weeks. Share it with they've us. They've got a new. They've got Please. a new excited, energetic CEO. Uh, he was very uh, impressive. He's a marketing. Yeah, they've got uh, this bizarre <clears throat> comment in there right up here about yeah. they've changed the way the company's uh, uh, organized, what the management structure is, 
And so there's going to be a reduced number of direct reports to CEO Rick Goings. Why is that important? Uh, because it frees him up to think the big thoughts. That's why. Oh, good. The big thoughts. Well, here's his big thought. All right. I, I, there used thought. to be this really cool little company uh, based in Texas. I used to cover it about 15 years ago on the sell side called Beauty Control, and they were sort of a small Mary Kay. And they were, because of that, they could attract salespeople, grow faster. It was a hot little stock for a while. But then it wasn't because their products weren't doing as well. At some time along the way, Tupperware, when they realized that they had to get economies of scale and sort of selling in the home, started to acquire other businesses that they could sell in the home because okay. the Tupperware product was being knocked off by low-cost plastic makers, and the brand wasn't that important when it was just function you were after. Yeah. So in beauty, it's not function you're after. It's, it's more emotional, and it is a you know, product that can be sold effectively one-on-one, -on -one, and there's a lot of emotion involved. And the other thing about beauty control was they had a big presence in Latin America where the use of makeup and cosmetics per capita is among the highest in the world, also in China where they're also going. So they're in these two highest beauty use per capita locations in the world, Latin America, South America, and China, and they're on the ground with people who, particularly in China, who want to work. And that's the core of what they bought from Sarah Lee? No, that's no. nothing about Sarah Lee. Oh, Sarah Lee was... They bought that business. Beauty Control. Well, ah. Sarah Lee might have bought Beauty Control, and they, but I think they bought it independently. Sarah okay. Lee uh, is, I think, uh, an owner of some South American beauty well, this products says, independent of, of Beauty Control. One of the things I didn't mention that I thought was very interesting about this story is the U.S. is only 12% of revenue and lost money last year. Yeah. Europe, almost half of sales, three-quarters of profit. Latin America is about 10% of it. See, Latin America is the big story here in okay. terms of beauty. Uh, and it was a very good story. The other I thing mean, that catches my eye is that attract salespeople. That's Cap their Re owns almost 11% of the company, and Lord Abbott owns a little under 9%. Those are smart These people. These are smart guys. Yeah. No, so I, I like I, that I, angle, too. I like the CEO, and I thought it had an interesting... Another consumer product. Are, are we idea. buying that one? I'm buying this one. Buying yeah, it. Okay. I'm buying Tupperware. Tupperware. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two rated by Value Line. They just raised their rating. Now, I, I, Newell Rubbermaid, I own this, full disclosure, symbol NWL. They rated a three, eight billion equity market cap, about 57% debt to cap. You know, these consumer sort of staples-oriented companies can support more debt and capital structure, so that doesn't particularly concern me. They tend to be more stable operators, right? This is only a 10% discount to market, but still almost a 3% yield at a little under $29. And there's uh, a lot of history historically of the stock trading higher, but it's kind of been nowhere for really the better part a of eight time. years, yeah. really ever since they bought Rubbermaid. Well, the value of a brand in plastic just turned out to be not worth as much. It was a as became a commodity was, item. Yeah, yeah, it, the Rubbermaid, um, the, the solar Rubbermaid was innovation, and it got so big that it was very difficult to come up with anything that would move the needle. And, and other than copied. that, you were just selling you know, plastic hangers, And their basically. salespeople all became overpaid. I know that from yeah. having been involved with a couple of them. All right. But I think this looks kind of interesting. This this one works out to about eight and a half times enterprise value to EBITDA. <laughs> so it's not as cheap, but uh, a part of this anticipation by the market because the company's been divesting things. Sales per share peaked uh, $28 north of 28 in 03 is down around $22, $23 a share now because they've been selling stuff. They've been getting out of things. Uh, toy business, for example, right. I don't believe they're in it anymore. They, you know, they had a they competency. Had a, they had a run with Joe Galli, who had come out of Black and Decker. Who he had spent built a time the at Amazon, too. right? Briefly after Dewalt, he 
got that job. Then he went here and was going to be the savior. He did buy uh, the Balance of American Tool, which is a nice little business that Newell has, and started to sell some things. But really, I mean, as reflected in the stock chart, all he did was arrest the decline. He didn't really right. get anything going and got bored. And I think the board got bored with him, and he's gone. Uh, in the meantime, they've, you know, as I say, they've skinnied stuff down. And their return on capital is running 12%, 13% now compared to, well, really, that's about as good as they've, ever, they've done in the last Pretty 10 years. Pretty amazing. Because this is after the hammer of Walmart and Target crushing their margins as best as possible. Uh, right. And it, it, Value Line talks about how they're spending aggressively on brand building this year. Um, they have, are facing higher raw material costs, particularly for resins, of course. But they, they make a lot of... That's going to roll off next year, Your commodity now, products years. anyway. Right. So there's some uh, likely some upside to current return parameters that are sort of artificially depressed. Right. Yet Value Line says the long-term return expectation here is 11.5%. I think that's wrong. So I think they're undervaluing the opportunity here. It's around 12 times free cash flow right now, but as we're talking, you know, sort of depressed free cash flow. So um, I think... Uh, a stock that really has struggled to do anything for a long, long time is on the cusp of. Now the market's starting to anticipate this. You can see relative performance kind of flattened out. Looks like it might want to get a little life. better. You know, the, the market's ready for Newell Rubbermaid to work uh, because they do have some decent. The problem, one of the big problems with Newell Rubbermaid right now, yeah. is just simply that they were so good in the past. They were like clockwork on earnings. They made accretive acquisitions. And I think they simply got too big. They they bought basically the death knell for this company was buying Rubbermaid, overpaying for that giant brand that ended up deflating as commodity plastic. No, the reason it worked is because they were buying twenty-five to hundred million dollar businesses and turning them from five percent profit margin businesses into yeah, yeah. They did what I does they on even, the consumer well, side. Well, we all know Cooper Industries talks about, or you historically talked about Cooperizing businesses. These guys put out annual reports that said they were going to newalize rubberize. And, uh, no, I don't no. think they rubberize. Why don't anything. they? That'd be more fun. I, anyway, moving on. I, I I think I like Tupperware better. It's cheaper. I think there's more upside here. There's but a I better think story. The story Tupperware. is is looking interesting as well. And I'm going to hit a couple other quickly here. Uh, first one, different, and these are both five rated stocks, by the way, by Value Line. Which I think is let's troll I, the uh, it's the first place the I look every week to see what that's they what have. I do. So what I have here, I have HNI Corp, manufacturer of metal and wood office furniture, complete line. They also make gas and wood burning fireplaces. Don't know anything about that. That can't be a big part of the business. You know, remember that time, Vern, when we worked together briefly? Yes. I pitched them on an IP, on a deal. Oh, did you really? On an M&A This is the old Han Furniture yeah, right. office. I like the guys. Now, they were good. Uh, you know, if, now, Value Line's five call here dates to April, and the stock is down, as best I can tell, um, like 15% off of that, and that would have been the you know near the all-time high, uh, $62 range, 45 recently. So it looks like a very good call. But I think at this point they're sticking with the rating too long because I've got a stock that's down significantly, 16.5 times earnings, 10% discount to the market, 1.6% yield. Great returns on capital. Got 11 times free cash flow that here, here's what Value Line has to say about what's going on with free cash flow at HNI. Their woes continue, rising raw material costs, like for particle board, like you would use in housing, which yeah. is collapsing. Higher steel, freight costs. Uh -oh. They've been raising prices. They're, they're trying to do better now. Isn't okay. all that stuff rolling it's over? It's 11 times that number, all right? right. 
Um, the return on capital here, historically, mid to high teens, yeah. low teens now can go back to high teens. Right. They're just in a period of uh, expensive raw materials. It's rolling over, right? And, and Value Line says strong industry fundamentals augur well for long-term profit growth. And they finally, at the end of the write-up, mentioned the two key words, non-residential, construction. Yeah, look around. There's cranes everywhere. I mean, and we're only obviously. a year into the real recovery in things like office and motel, hotel, et cetera. These are, I mean, Lord, the, right. the first buildings that started getting built when the recovery began are only now ready to accept furniture. Right. So, so you got a value lines numbers here are likely too low. Well, I think this looks really good. I think it looks really good in particularly in comparison with Steelcase, the industry leader rated three by value line, 20% premium to the market. You do get a little more yield, a little less leverage on the balance sheet, but not huge differences. And the returns are woefully worse. And the returns are single digit. The company lost money. I mean, I guess what Value Line likes here is they're talking about uh, this, you know, earnings at some point in the right. not the too murky quantifiable future. murky future. About 60% above 07 levels. For H&I, it's about a 30% increase above 07 forecast numbers. There's more upside at Steelcase, I guess, from a less consistent report uh, performer historically. Go with the go with the one with no expectations. HNI. I like this idea a lot. Less than one times revenue. I like if that. you like discounts to revenue, really fast. I promise. Yes, yeah, I don't care. Wholesale building supplier. I'm going nowhere. <laughs> rated five. Value line just lowered the rating on today, January fifth. Oh, what 2007. a timely comment you have, Vern. BLG is the symbol. I've never heard of this company. Building I've never materials heard materials holdings. Is it a, a leader in providing construction services? It, it doesn't have the little history box. Maybe it's so. But new the history they don't goes back it. to 1990, so it's been around mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. Sales are around three billion today. Looked like they probably would have been about a half a billion in 1990. So it's six times larger than that in 15 years. Uh, they manufacture building components and high-quality materials, blah, blah, like pre-hung doors, windows, and trusses. Products, 46%. Services, 54 hmm. So they apparently build, they, they must be an outsourced manufacturer for Lennar, for example. Right. So it's a direct play on the home builders, and that would explain why at $24, it's a 7.6 PE, 60% discount to the market. But I got a yield of 1.7%. That's a forward-looking PE. Well, let me ask a question, Vern. As an outsourced guy, wouldn't they tend to have more variable costs and fixed costs, which would mean that their earnings could go to no, zero no, faster? No, no, they're the contract manufacturer. Yes, their earnings could go to zero faster because they have more fixed assets. Oh, yeah. But they've got a pretty consistent return of 5 to 10% on capital. It's a little higher than that right now. 40% of capital is debt. I'm just... I, at 7.6 times earnings, I can earn half of the forecast 15% decline off a of peak and still just be at a 15 multiple Which is still and a 20% discount, a discount right. to the market. So maybe it's priced in a little bit. I'd say it looks very well priced in. looks like the stock's been stabilizing here around the $24 level. I think, uh, I think you buy this in anticipation of interest rate cuts which will suck money into home building sector, and this will be something that will benefit from that. It's less than 25% of revenue on a per share basis. Anyway, building materials, holdings, BLG, if you're going to try a home building play. Nice. Very nice. Okay. And with that, I'm happy. 
to transfer responsibility for the generation of good stock ideas today on today's Holy show. Holy cow. What a lot of pressure. To my yeah. partner. Oh, first a beverage yeah, break. Beverage break first. first. Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Vern. Yeah, Vern it's been great. Val, Clink. I'm Val, and you're Vern. <laughs> we really are just working this out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I don't know. Although weeks. we did 50 shows last year. I'm proud of that. So we're on to our 51st row. show. All right, so this is Val Hughes. Get it? Values? Get Values, it, everyone? Values. I don't know. Say it fast. Values. So, uh, okay, value line. I just go in order. I kind of page through here a little bit. It's a, it's a week of a lot of building and paper and things. Uh, so let's get right to it. Home Depot, page 878, HD's the ticker. I've talked about this before. Big building uh, materials retailer. Uh, in the news yesterday, the CEO who was in the running to run GE, ladies and gentlemen, and lost out to the guy who uh, had run the medical products division over there, so they didn't really have much of a chance. Robert Nardelli resigned. Why? I guess because uh, 50s management style doesn't work anymore in uh, U.S. retailing. And uh, sadly for him, he's going to walk away with a few, didn't realize a few hundred be, million dude, dollars. You've got to be a CEO, chairman. You have to be an ambassador of goodwill. you got to be a nice, friendly guy. And he yeah. was, I guess, a kind of likeable. a hard ass. I met him a couple times at some uh, analyst meetings and store tours and things. And, you know, he. The, I guess the bottom line is, if you look at it, the stock's done nothing over his tenure, really. And that's really the rub with shareholders. Now, it may not be his fault. You know, if you look back to 1999, this company was higher than it was today, but at that time, earnings were a buck ten, and the stock was at 70. So it's hard as the market reacts to your slower growth potential and the multiple comes down. This would be sort of what efficient markets is all about. Uh, the market so long ago anticipated the future growth in Home Depot and got the price right. But what I'd say today is that... Uh, they're trading at a 30% discount to the S&P, 13 times earnings. you got a 2% yield. The company has almost, you know, no debt. I mean, a little debt, 19% debt to cap. Their returns on capital, uh, even in a very competitive market where they're the biggest guy, is, you know, uh, 17%. That just suggests that they have some advantages, undoubtedly, in logistics and transportation costs and things That's like terrific, that. That's terrific, too, because they've been, uh, they've been making a series of acquisitions building out this... Uh Industrial wholesale right. supply. Right. So they're looking so. for some new growth channels. The ROI is that right? It was at, it was at twenty percent at the peak, but even now it's still among their top quarter of years at seventeen percent, and they have a little bit of leverage. So their return on equity is comfortably in the low twenties. I mean that that that's that's stellar performance for a company this big. Uh, Valuation wise, they're trading at ten times cash flow per share actually this year, and uh, a little less than that on 07. They're trading at uh, on a free cash flow basis. Well, we we've talked about this on retailers. We don't actually know that yeah. they don't give the figure, but uh, you know they're trading at 13 times earnings. Home Depot. They're going to have new management. I know there's lots of cost cutting opportunities here. They could start to flow more cash to the shareholder, less to expansion on stores that do less per square foot as the last one. And uh, they, you know, you know when, a, they, when they turn this story into unlocking the potential of the largest presence in this channel. Uh, people are going to be dying to buy this single trade at a premium. Well, I think there's very little downside, and I just point that out at Home Depot. Uh, Eagle Materials, EXP, page 884. This is an aggregates company, and they've been caught in the downturn, of course, of residential construction. They sell a mix of things, uh, gypsum wallboard, cement, paperboard, concrete, and aggregates. 
the returns on capital, um, you know, have been rising exponentially recently. They were in the high 20s in the late 90s. They moved to the mid-single digits in the downturn in 01, and now they're running 29%. Now, admittedly, residential construction's rolled off. They sell products into non-residential, and there's a huge infrastructure play, even despite the cycles in the economy, which we've talked about before, have, you know, moderated from where they were 30, 40 years ago. We're getting one sort of recession year for every uh, 20 recovery years right now, and that's been true since Ronald Reagan's tax cut in 1980. Pundits don't get that. And so... As you have an aging population, people with more money than they've ever had in history looking for second homes or upgrading new homes, et cetera, upgrading existing homes, uh, these guys are going to continue to benefit. There does seem to be a little bit of an oligopoly associated with these aggregates uh, built around the idea of a mine every so many miles and then transportation costs and ownership of mines. That's not so true in Wallboard, but it certainly is in their aggregates, and these guys are showing superior returns as a uh, you know, as, as a, a clue of that. Also, my, our operating margins, 30% operating margins in 06. There's something definitely mon, monopolistic going on when you see those types of operating margins because obviously it means customers are willing to pay a giant premium to the actual cost, and they're only doing that because they have to. They don't like it at all. The stock's trading at 10 times earnings, a 40% discount to the S&P, 1.6% yield. Uh, I think... You know, no, no debt. Basically, there's a little debt, 200 million, but that's on a market cap of 2 billion. So 10% of the market value is debt. Uh, there's going to be some down comparisons likely over the next uh, few quarters, but that seems to be priced in. I'd be waiting into Eagle Materials EXP. Uh, next page, 885 Florida Rock. I've talked about this one before as well. FRK uh, trades on the NYSC. This one is just like Eagle. But better. Why? Because they sell concrete, and it's almost exclusively that. They have mines, and when I went back, ladies and gentlemen, I went back over 30 years of concrete and cement prices, and what I'm amazed about is they never, ever go down. Now, you get volume declines in down years, but this is an oligopoly like you've never seen. All the suppliers just simply don't lower the price. They also have set up a system where uh, a lot more cement is being imported, and the existing domestic producers own all the gateways to the importation of cement. The import, imported cement stays a little bit higher than the local cement, so they're always running local plants full out and getting maximum economies of scale on production. There's a little bit of a, a worm here in the in the, in the mine. Well, of course, story. housing's rolling off, so that's a problem. And there's also a lawsuit with their big... Now, Florida Rock, you think they're heavily in Florida. They are. There's a big lawsuit with a mine... Uh, in South Florida, and so uh, some judges said they've improperly filled out some forms or something like that. I don't know. But the judge, they're, they're allowing them to continue to mine it because there's no other mines for 200 miles. So unless some judge wants to shut down construction projects in South Florida, they're going to have to just figure out a fine or whatever. And Florida Rock's not the only one in this mine. I think it's shared with six other producers who all make everything in southern Florida that's made out of concrete. They're going to resolve that eventually. Um, Concrete is gaining share of production materials. Uh, it's a stronger material than alternatives. You've got Homeland Security, big plays in water, big plays with Katrina, big plays with uh, the coast of Florida and other hurricane-prone areas and insurance costs. You know, in Europe, where they had, quote-unquote, civilized 
peoples for many hundred years before we had them here in North America, they were more aggressive and earlier on cutting down all their forests. Oh, good for them. And so consequently, they learned to build things like homes out of concrete. And we're going to get there too, folks. They're not going to allow you to keep building homes out of tree, blessed trees. Anymore. Yeah, the blessed trees. Right. So the green so, revolution. I mean, there's a great longer term There's no story gray, here the well. gray revolution. So a concrete oh, yeah, gaining. Nobody cares about the fossilized remains of creatures from several millennia. I certainly ago. don't. Now, a return on capital here is running in the upper you know, teens. It was 20, 22% last year. There's very little debt here as well, like at Eagle, 2% debt to capital. Operating margins here, 28%, a little bit lower than Eagle. But in part, that's because Wallboard has been red hot in price. Wallboard does go down in price when I check the last 30 years. So Eagle is apt to get a little bit of a margin press when uh, Wallboard prices go down. There's a bunch of new capacity coming on in Wallboard. There is new capacity in concrete and cement as well, but prices never go down. So Florida Rock's going to be more stable than uh, uh, than Eagle, but I would tend to just own both. They're fabulous. Florida Rock, page 885, ticker FRK, I buy that. Uh, okay, moving along. I'm looking at two stocks simultaneously. Uh, Ethan Allen, page 893. Does that mean at the same time, Val? Yes, I am. Look at what I'm doing. I'm multitasking right wow. in front of you. If, if we just had video here on the show, people would, uh, people would tune out immediately. <laughs> We're, we have faces for radio, let's face it. But anyway, uh, Ethan yeah, Allen, ETH, page 893, Furniture Brands, FBN, page 894. Now, why am I talking about both of these? Uh, they're both rated 5 by Value Line. Now, Furniture Brands, 3.9% yield, 20% discount to the S&P. That all looks good. But Furniture Brands is a sort of consolidation of a bunch of different brands, Lane, Thomasville, Broyhill, oh. um, others that aren't even mentioned here. Now, Artisan Partners uh, is a big holder here. They're a very respectable value shop in uh, Wisconsin, 14.8% uh, of the common. Also, Dimensional Fund, and these guys are geniuses out in uh, Santa Monica, academics on the value side that have done well. So, you know, they're all smarter than me. But what I would say, compared to Ethan Allen, is that these guys are earning a mid-single-digit operating margin. Ethan Allen, mid-teens, okay? Um, single-digit return on these capital. guys are earning a single-digit return on capital. Ethan Allen, you know, 19, 18, 15, right. Uh, these guys have 25% debt to capital. Uh, Ethan Allen, oh, oops, 50. Okay, <laughs> well, that's not as good. But I would say that Ethan Allen has done something a little different than furniture brands. They're sort of a, a more of a monolith. I'd say if you compare them in the tech world, Ethan Allen has sort of taken the Apple computer approach. You have one thing. You do it soup to nuts. You do it well. There's one brand, Ethan Allen. They do design. They send people to your home. They do manufacturing themselves. They actually own the plants, and they also own the retail stores. They own the whole thing. Insiders own a fair amount of stock. And they've done that extremely well. Uh, they do have good, better, best, the old Sears model of, you know, price points along the spectrum. But it's one single viewpoint to the market. Uh, this thing is selling at 77% uh, of the S&P 500 multiple or a 23% discount. Furniture Brands is selling at only a 20% discount. It's a little more expensive than Ethan Allen, and yet they're supporting half a dozen brands, each one with less volume. These guys do $2.5 billion in sales among five brands. Ethan Allen's doing a billion in one brand, so Ethan Allen has more penetration with, with its Ethan Allen brand than any of these individual furniture brands. And these brands are expensive to maintain. 
They, uh, I don't think they own all the manufacturing. I think they do a fair amount of contract manufacturing. These brands are old U.S. brands with U.S. labor, so that's partly why their margins are lower. And their distribution is a bunch of furniture stores, oftentimes, that are owned by other people than them, although they do you know, open some showrooms now and then. So my point is, with Ethan Allen, you get better margin, better return, better growth, uh, than furniture brands, and yet it's cheaper. So uh, I like Ethan Allen. I like it for the long term. I know housing is rolling over, but you know when people don't buy new homes, they remodel and upgrade their old homes. This company's done well overall. Period. Well, you see the stock and, and the financial performance has been solid through recession. And it's it's solid. You know it's underperformed for a number of years. I think that's about to turn around. I think around. you captured it in the you know the behavior of the consumer, if you will. People go to an Ethan Allen store specifically because they're interested in Ethan. Allen Furniture, but to run into a furniture brand's brand, I mean, you wouldn't, you can't go to a Lane store, so you're going to some nebulous furniture store. They don't have a Lane department. Well, some, some, they're up. trying to do some of that, but it's still not where Ethan Allen is, I guess, when you buy Okay, uh, I'm doing too many stocks this week, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate that, so just stick with me here. I, I got a couple four. of other, you, did you? I did four. Okay, well, I got a couple other quick ones. Uh, Owens, Illinois, page 930. Uh, why am I doing this? You know, because it's four and a half times cash flow. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, ticker OI. Well, what do they do? Owens, Illinois is the largest producer of glass containers in North America, South America, New Zealand, and Europe. They have Not a, in New Zealand yeah, as well. No, they own New Zealand, my friend. <laughs> they own it. And uh, you can't walk around New Zealand without seeing a glass jar that they I think the capital of made. New Zealand is Owens. Owen Tune? No. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. We're idiots. We don't know. But call in with that. We'll give a Who's prize. Who's this Illinois guy? Uh, l l l l I've lost my place ah, now. Okay. 50% global share in glass containers. That's big. Glass well, actually. hard to gain market share then. What else? Well, it is, except that glass is continuing to gain share. People From plastic? People played oh, with plastic, but they're. Break. Well, they've lost a lot of share. Obviously, okay. but it's coming back. You know it's why? Consumers prefer the taste, the feel, the confidence they get from a glass container. Do you container. need to put organic foods in glass to keep them better something? I don't know. Is there a link I don't know, there, but why, not? why don't we just say Let's yes? Let's hypothesize one exactly. anyway. <laughs> now, these guys, um, the reason I like them, it's primarily value. They have a huge market share, so they're probably... Got a, you know, they've got economies of scale, let's say. They're trading at four to five times cash flow. Now, free cash flow is not as good. They're spending a lot on CapEx. So on free cash flow, let's say it's about, you know, two bucks. They're at ten times Nine free times. cash flow. Yeah. Now, the returns on capital historically aren't so good. And so I might suggest when you have 50% market share in a product line that's gaining share, they probably have some pricing here. Also, with uh, energy prices coming off, a big part of their component cost is just energy heating up sand oh, yeah, and crap to make glass. And, to make and so they should and see something roll off in costs. Uh, glass is going up. You know, the developing world likes glass. And so uh, I think there's a little bit of a play here. The, the, the potential this year is for some meaningful year-over-year uh, -year earnings gains. They've got a restructuring plan that's going on. They're trying to pull $300 million out of their cost structure. Okay, okay. And we I give know, up. We give up. We'll buy it. I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> They're going to take a buck fifty out of their cost. So when I look at a you know eighty cents in earnings at a buck fifty, that's two thirty. The stock's at eighteen. So you look a year or two out, it's a single digit PE without a lot of 
sales growth, just some right. cost reduction. Obviously, the cost of uh, uh, all their raw materials is going to be down next year in addition to energy, but that's their biggest one. They're still very levered. Uh, Value Line here says they're looking at actually selling some of their plastics businesses to pay down debt, and I think that would be very positive. They also have a new CEO, and you know he's going to want to do some interesting things. So, uh, uh, you know, he's going to get ROA up. If they sell bad businesses, ROA is going to go up. The multiple could go up. And I don't think at four to five times uh, cash flow here, you're it really... It sounds like he's got a lot of really, options. You're really kind of uh, risking a lot. And then finally, uh, this is my last one. There's no real value add here, but it's Kimberly Clark, KMB. They own the word Kleenex. They're the largest provider of all kinds of stuff. Huggies, pull-ups, Kotex, Depends, which are great for football Sundays. Uh, Kleenex, Scott, Viva... They bought Scott in 95. You know, they own it. They own the whole paper aisle there in the supermarket. Uh, and they are, uh, you know, let's say struggling in the stock market. The stock's been down relative to the market for about four years. They're selling. They used to sell at premiums all the time because of their lofty returns, but now they tend to sell at discounts. And, and perceived stable. And, uh, yes, yeah, stable. But, but now their earnings growth is perceived as sort of mid to high single digit. Their returns on capital remain just stellar. They're in the low 20s, and with a little Even bit of it's leverage. it's a paper company. It's paper, and that just tells you the value and the power of a brand. They're selling a commodity product around the world, but rather than spend a bunch of time doing, you know, chemical analysis on the best toilet paper, we all just trust Kleenex and Scott and Viva and all these things, and that chemical seems to analysis? be true. Well, which paper's better? Okay. I don't have the time for that, Vern. So I just trust Kleenex has done it. They have a bevy. You know, I'm always forgetting my tissue testing pack I know. at home when these I go These guys out. have an entire bevy of scientists that make sure that this stuff is just the best. It's you know what I mean? It's company. the best. You said it yourself. They are it's selling paper. commodity. But they've, what they've done is they've wrapped it up in this beautiful image of their brand, and that's why they're earning 22% operating margins. That's not a commodity margin, and they're earning 23% returns on capital. So whatever the magic trick is that they're pulling off, they're they pulling it off very well. I think well. they outsourced a lot of their manufacturing. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. But they sold a bunch of tissue plants to other operators. No, that's all possible, but I don't, I don't think so Sounds too here. logical, doesn't it? Uh, no, no, it's They've a giant, had these returns for 20 Kleenex years. Manufacturer. Well, if you look, here's how you, here's how you judge a paper company. Yeah. It's revenue per ton. And right. when you go and you buy a box of Kleenex for three bucks, weigh it, well, okay, pretty, my friend? Yeah. And I'll tell you that compared okay, to a okay. piece of wood <laughs> that costs a buck. Are you telling me that that's better than newsprint? It's called conversion <laughs> value added. They're, they're very good at it. Huggies, weigh those things. Well, you're telling me that this is Avery Dennison as the comp then, not quite possibly. the paper for Quite possibly, quite possibly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. I'm telling you that. And I'm telling you it <laughs> right now sharing, on national podcast. That's right. That's right. International. There's Kimberly Clark, 30% returns on equity. Now I would be shocked to know how many people and from where listen to we, our We're amazed ourselves. But uh, in any case, that's another story. Yeah. They also have some cash 
they have uh, roughly. Uh, let's do the math here. Well, it's not that much. It's a buck a share. It's four. It's four hundred million. This company has four hundred and forty million shares outstanding. <laughs> that's pocket change. Anyway, that's all I have. Kimberly Clark. It's a good long-term a basic cap. hold. It's, it's thirty-one billion. billion. It's a ten percent discount to the market. And as democracy and wealth spreads around the world, let me just say yield, these types of products, of right? Oh, yeah, people want to use. If you've been if you've been to Eastern Europe, you know that they're going to be customers nope, for never been some there. of this stuff. Never been there. No, once. I understand. Have but you? I have, perhaps. I don't want to give a lot away on the show, comrade. That would be a clue to your identity. Anyway, that's all I have this week. This has been Values. And, and I'm Vern Value. Yes, and this has been The Value Guys with The Value Line Observer. Uh, my best pick today is Florida Rock, FRK. I just go buy that. Don't even look back. Don't tell your wife. Just buy it. You'll be glad you did. Best pick this week. I gotta go with. Uh, I gotta go with. I gotta go with Building Materials Holdings. Wow. At six times earnings. Okay, that's it then for the value, guys. Yeah. Adios.